Well, 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 how's everybody doing tonight? That sounds so good to me, it really does, and uh, I want to tell you, I truly believe we've been in this thing together this week, and uh, I just want to know how much encouragement you have been to me, and and, uh, just you've taken very good care of me in so many ways, but the main thing is that... uh, that we hope that uh, you've been fired up, that you've been excited, uh, you reignite, you, the coals have been reignited in your soul, and you're uh, ready to, uh, to make an extreme difference uh, for the kingdom of God. If you have a Bible tonight, if you'll turn to Acts chapter 8, uh, we'll be reading there. And uh, I really have tried to challenge you to uh, make sure that you've repented of your sins the fact that, that sin separates us from God in fellowship before we're saved, I mean in, in relationship before we're saved, in fellowship after we're saved, and that we've got to keep accounts up to date with God. Then we've got to obey God. We've got to do what the Word of God says, and that's what it is. And then, so tonight, I want to try to encourage you on this last night, and, uh, and so we'll be reading Uh, We're going to kind of go by this verse by verse as we go through here. Uh, Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 1. And Saul, who was later to become Paul, okay, consented to his death. He's talking about the death of Stephen. And Paul was one of those, I mean, Saul was one of those religious guys that hated Jesus, hated the church, and did much harm in the church. And he's saying, yeah, let's go ahead and stone Stephen. And he said, in great persecution against the church, uh, which was in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And so his, uh, his uh, condemnation becomes, became on the church there. I mean, all the believers blew out of Jerusalem to get out of the way of all this, but the apostles stayed there in town so that, uh, that when they needed help, they would know where to come uh, to get the spiritual advice they needed. And it says, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentations over him. It says that when a man of great man of God dies, that men take him to his grave and make great lamentations over them. You know what? Uh, just very simply, you know, I I'm always asked to preach funerals, and you know, sometimes it kind of gets down to the place where they kind of want me to preach them into heaven. And uh, I don't do that. I don't do that at all. Uh, you know, the, the, when, when it comes funeral time, uh, their, their life has already been preached. And no matter what I say, it can't buy. But, you know, uh, that happens sometime. I heard a story one time about these two boys down in Georgia where I'm from. And uh, let's see. Let's, let's be very polite and say that they were some uh, scum-sucking slugs okay they just did everything bad they robbed this and you know broke this and tore up this and pillaged this and you know that's it and they got and and one of the brothers there were two brothers and one of them got killed robbing a store one night and so the brother the surviving brother said you know what i'm gonna find me a preacher in town that will say my brother was a saint so he went to the Baptist church, and the preacher said no. Went to the Presbyterian, no. Methodist, no. Pentecostal, no. Nobody would, you know, dare go that far. And there was a new preacher in town, and he came to him. He says, 
He said, for $500, I will, will you call my brother a saint in his funeral? He said, sure I will. So everybody in town came in to hear what was going to happen because they couldn't believe this was going to happen. So the preacher got up there, and he said, here lies Billy. He was one of the worst people on this planet. He never helped thought of anybody but himself. He plundered and abused everything in town. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. <laughs> That's right. So, see, you can work around it sometimes and make it work. But uh, let me ask you a question. When you die, do your fr are your friends going to know exactly where you are? Or are they going to wonder if he's in or if he's out? If she was really in or really out? And see, my Bible says that our our death, there should be as much joy in our death as there is our birth. And so there should be great lamentations. Uh, a, a sweet lady that I I loved, and, and I when I first started preaching and started traveling and witnessing, uh, I would visit a lady by the name of Mae Johnson. And Mae Johnson outlived three husbands. She outlived four children. Uh, she was legally blind and uh, and going deaf, okay? And I would go there to, she lived in a, uh, you know, a low-income apartment housing in our hometown there, and I would go there to visit her, to cheer her up, but guess who got cheered up every time, you know? But now, May was one of these ladies that, uh, that uh, she loved to dip top snuff. And you know those cracks that come right down here on a lady sometime? And you go in and that top stuff be running down that. And you had to kiss her on the mouth, go in and come in. And so I'd walk in that door and I said, Dear God, you, you protected Paul from the scorpions and the venomous snakes. Protect me from that top snuff, you know. And I just. But when I started Snowbird, I put every, all my friends on my mailing list. And, of course, she was on there. And I sent out this big old thing of information about how we're going to do it, what we're going to do, and all this kind of thing. And I got a letter back. And, uh, you know, she's blind, and she can't, you know, she can't hear. And the lines on the paper went listed, but her letter was written like this because she didn't know where the lines were. And it said, honey, that's what she called me. She says, honey, I don't need no more information. I'm going to send you $10 a month until I go to the funeral home or the nursing home. Love. May. That $10 a month is the fire that burns in these bones right here. And yes, May passed away. Wait a minute, when we started the camp, when you come to Snowbird to see us, you'll find out the name of the road that runs through our camp is called the May Johnson Way. And I did preach her funeral, and it was a hootenanny. What are people going to think at your funeral? Are they going to think, yeah, I know he, where he is, or are they going to wonder, I wonder? And you know what? I would not want to leave my family wondering where I was. He said they made, he said the great, made lam, great lamentations over him. He says, and so Saul made havoc in the church, entering to every house, 
and hauling men and women uh, and committed them to prison. Now, I want you to know something. Uh, when they're coming in your house and hauling you to prison because your faith in Jesus Christ uh, is the, because of your faith, and they're hauling you to prison, can I tell you something? You are in a bad situation. And you know what? You say, well, that'll never happen in America. Well, you just hang on. It's coming. We've allowed them to take uh, uh, prayer out of the schools. We've allowed them to take the Ten Commandments off the courthouse wall. We've allowed them to, to let everybody in the world put up their Christmas decorations except Christians. And it's, the time's coming. And let me tell you, there are subdivisions in metropolitan area where they won't allow anybody to put Christmas lights in their yard, won't allow them to have a Bible study in their house. Uh, I mean, you name it, it's coming, okay? And you know what? This thing about being hauled off to prison because you're faith, that is a bad situation. But you know what I always also know? Most everybody in here has got them a situation. A situation that's not real good. It may be health-related. It may be money-related. It might be spiritual-related, family-related. But I, I've just, I, you know, I've talked to enough people this week. I know that most of the people th that are in church, but you know what? That's why we come to church. This church is supposed to be a hospital where sick people come to get better. And it is not a fort where we march around looking alike, saying the same thing, and acting alike. It is a hospital for sick people. And, uh, and so we need to know that, 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 we miss, that, uh, that it's bad, but we have situations. But the question is this. What is it about your particular situation that's keeping you from selling out to Jesus Christ? I mean, totally and completely throwing the whole thing up in the air and say, Jesus, it is yours. What is it about your situation that keeps you from just selling out? Being a fanatic for Jesus. Being radical and crazy for Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, and you say, you're, no, I'm not. Can I tell you something? That's what God calls us to. That's what he calls us to. He says we're supposed to be a peculiar people. Anybody ever call you a peculiar I have. You know what? They find themselves in a bad situation in verse 3, but they had a good plan there in verse 4. Therefore, they were scattered abroad and went everywhere preaching the word. Now, I've learned in my life that if I've got a bad situation, the best thing to do with a bad situation is have a good plan. And let me tell you something, the best thing in your life would be whatever your problem is, the best plan for your life is doing what God left you here on the planet to do and that you would get about sharing your faith. You were not left here to be a good mama, a daddy, a grandma, grandpa, doctor, lawyer, beggar, man, chief. You were left here to be his witnesses. Amen. You were here to share the gospel. You are here to live the gospel with your life. So without speaking a word, people will know that you are different. Amen. And when they found themselves in a real bad situation, they went abroad preaching Jesus Christ to everybody. 
if I were to ask for a show of hands tonight of the people that have not shared their faith in the last week, the last month, the last year, I think we would be embarrassed to think of how long it's been since you shared your faith with another human being. Guys, we were left here to be his witnesses. And you know what? We need to get busy. We need to, I was in a church one time, uh, and let's see, what do they call it? Uh, oh, I, there was a bench in the foyer, and it was called the fool's bench. And the reason it was called the fool bench, people that had invited somebody to church, they would sit on that bench, and most likely the people they invited weren't coming, but they were sitting on the bench. That was a bench of honor in that church. I'm here, and I ask them to come, and if they don't come, guess what? I'm going to keep asking them. What about the sharing of our salvation? Do we get up in the morning and say, Dear Holy Spirit of God, would you create an opportunity for me to share my faith today? And I promise if you do that, he will do his part. He'll do his part. It says, and Philip went down to Samaria and preached Christ to them. Now, I want to talk about this Samaria a little bit. It said, Philip, now you do realize that Philip is not an apostle. He is a disciple, okay? And this disciple is doing this work, all right? We're disciples, and we're supposed to do the same thing, okay? It said he went down to Samaria and preached Christ to them. Okay, well, what you got to realize is Samaria was a city that was made uh, for the people of Jewish faith and the people that were Greeks. Those couples that came together were considered half-breeds, and when they got married, they could not live on either, with either family, and they had to go to this place called Samaria, which was for Samaritans. See, the, the Jews were people of the law, and the Greeks were people of philosophy, and they hated each other. They really did hate each other, okay? And they hated each other so much that if their children married the other uh, denomination, okay, uh, they would disown them. And see, Philip, being a good little Jewish boy, he had no business going down and hanging out with those half-breeds. I got to thinking about some things. My mother has always bragged about my Scotch-Irish heritage. Well, that sounds good, and I like to say it, but you know what? If you're half Scotch and half Irish, you're a stinking half-breed. <laughs> Amen? And then my great-grandfather, he married a full-blooded Cherokee, and they threw him out of Roswell, Georgia, and he went down on the river and opened up a mill, showed them all. And you know what? If you're half uh, honky and half Cherokee, you're a stinking half-breed. And I'm a half-breed. And you know what? And then you know what? For the last, uh, th you know, all my life, all I heard about, my grandfather on my mother's side, he was a preacher in the mountains of North Georgia. And all we heard about was Reverend Mulk, uh, you know, Reverend Charlie Mulkey, man of God. 
Well, he did preach for the last 30 years of his life, but the first 30 years, what do you think he did in the mountains of uh, North Georgia? <laughs> he made moonshine. <laughs> so let's just review my heritage. One quarter um, Scotch, one quarter Irish, one quarter Cherokee, key, one quarter honky with a little felony thrown in for the side. And you know what I realized about myself? I am a half-breed. And you want to know something? So are you. We're not a, there's not any pure breeds anymore. And you know what? Uh, everybody wants to brag about, well, you know, I'm one nine hundredth of a percent. I'm a Cherokee, you know. And we're so You know what? I truly believe that there'll be a lot of times we'll be bragging about our black blood. I hope it'll get to that. It ought to get to that. Phew, getting quiet in here now. That's right. <laughs> That's right. But yeah, and then, you know what? Things have improved among race relations in the United States, some. Not all, some. But you know what? Well, I mean, we got it coming on all sides, you know. Now, now, where I live, we got six different tribes of Indians that live in my county. So we got, we got a white and red, okay? Prejudice. Red, white, white, red. And then there are a few black folks that live in our county, okay? So then we got white, red, and black, okay? And then some Mexican guys came in to work in the fields, and now we got some brown, and then an Asian lady opened a restaurant, and now we got yellow, so we got red and yellow, black and white. Red and yellow, black and white, if they're like us, they're all right. <laughs> is that the way we sing it, or is that the way we live it? And let me tell you about some other prejudice I know about. Do you know what neighborhood they live in? Can you believe the car that they drive? Did you see the dress that she had on? Do you know what her mama did? You know what that is, folks? Stinking, filthy, nasty prejudice. Good to have you. I didn't see you until, okay? That's prejudice. That's what it is. And let me tell you something. If you're looking in the eyes of another human being that's breathing, you are looking in the eyes that somebody Jesus died for. Amen. And when we finally realize that and start living that, let me tell you something. God will be able to bless. It says that they went about preaching the gospel down in Samaria with the half-breeds. Here's the preacher's favorite verse, number six. And the people with one accord gave heed to the things that the preacher said. Amen. How do you like that one now? That's my favorite right there. Now, this is what happened in the church. And for unclean spirits crying out loud, and voice, with loud voices came out of many that were possessed by them, and many were taken with palsy, and they were lame, and they were healed. 
And verse 8 said there were great joy in the city. Uh, it says here that in the church, people were filled, they were healed physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And guys, that's what we should be doing, all of those things. On uh, three different occasions, I believe, uh, I've been in meetings where there were people that were demon-possessed. Demon-possessed. And we had to deal with it. What would happen if you had a demon-possessed person in your church? Would you look in the yellow pages for demon possession? And I would suggest you'd have to deal with them. Uh, you do believe that demon the devil casts his demon into people and they, they're actually possessed by demons. Do you believe that? believe that? If they come in here, what are we going to do with them? I told you the other day that when I found out I had a brain tumor, I called for the elders of the church and asked me to, to anoint me with oil and pray the prayer of healing over me. You know why I did that? Because in James, that's exactly what the book says. And we, we all, and you know, we need to focus on the spiritual, but we need to focus on the needs of people. And whatever those needs might be, we need to be the answer. And it says, and when this happened, there was great joy in the city. Basically, what he's saying here is when you start seeing people getting healed, when you see people getting saved, when you see people getting delivered, when you see God moving in the church, can I tell you something? There'll be great joy in the church. Amen. New birth brings joy. Uh, I've been doing card tricks for the young people that anybody else would watch. watch. And uh, when I was at First Baptist Woodstock, uh, uh, each staff member had hospitalization, hospital visitation one day a week. And you started at 7 in the morning, and you didn't get through about 7 at night, and you went to Atlanta, and you went from church to church to church to church, and you made a big circle, and you came out of town when you were through. The last two stops on that circle was Eggleston's Children's Hospital and Scottish Rites Children's Hospital. And I learned the card tricks back then to entertain those babies with the shaved heads and tubes going in everywhere. And I'll tell you what, I'd go to Eggleston first and then Scottish Rite. And when I would come out of Scottish Rite Hospital, I was the most depressed individual you could imagine. That they were, those babies were suffering like that. But see, Scottish Rite Hospital is right across the street from Northside Hospital. And Northside Hospital is the city in uh, North Georgia, really, where all the babies were born. So if I got real depressed... And I wanted to get undepressed. Where did I go? To the nursery at Northside. And man, I'd be all depressed, and I'd go in there, and there'd be a lady. She'd be laying in the bed, and her hair's all messed up, and her mask hair running all over here. She looked like she'd been hit by a truck. She had this little bone on her She'd go, <laughs> you know why? Because there's joy in new birth. I promise you, 
You start bringing people down, leading people down on Sunday by the hand that you've led to the Lord the week before. Herbert's allowed to start dancing in the altar. And, oh, yeah, the reason men can't do that is white men cannot dance, right? Okay. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> that lady be laying there, man, been through the worst thing in, the, in life, you know. She's grinning. The man, of course, he's standing there and said, Look what I did. <laughs> nothing, you stupid redneck. You didn't do nothing. But he's happy too. And the grandmas and the grandpa and everybody is happy. Why? Because of new birth. You want to see things get happy around here, you start bringing people to Jesus and bring them to church and present them at the altar, and I promise you, It'll get happy or some people are going to know they are not saved. Because if, if you're saved and somebody else getting saved don't make you happy, something's wrong with your salvation. Amen. When somebody steps from, from death into life, it ought to make you happy. Now then, so here we go. We've got what we're supposed to do. And uh, this week, I pray, I, I just pray that I have challenged you in your faith, challenged you to examine every part of your faith and make sure that it lines up with what this book says. And what I try to do when I treat, I try to challenge people. When these students come to camp, the reason they love camp is because we challenge them. We challenge them spiritually. We challenge them physically. We cha challenge them emotionally. And we challenge these young people, and they thrive on it. And so I want to challenge you. But you know what? Just like witnessing to people and serving people, you know what? Until you kind of get in the groove, and a lot of times after you're in the groove of doing this, it's hard to do. It's hard to do. People say, oh, yeah, you know, I can't witness my family. Why not? Why can't you witness to your family? Do you not love them? Do you not care about them? Do you not live an example in front of them that they want to be saved? Our job is to do what God says, o obey. That's what we talked about last night, obey what God does. And the thing about it is, is God is only going to ask you to do something that you can't do in your own strength. That is very scary. Lord, I'm going to try this, but if you don't come through, I'm sunk. That's faith. That's what it means to trust him by faith. That's why God proves to you that your salvation is real because he's real in your life and he's real in your obedience. Let's flip on over there to verse 26. Verses 20 through uh, 25 are all about uh, a sorcerer. Uh, I don't think we have any sorcerers here tonight, so we can pass over that part. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> Verse 26 says, And the Lord, angel of the Lord spoke unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward, uh, toward south, the way that goes down by the, uh, from Jerusalem, unto Gaza, which is the desert. And he arose, and he went down, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch, a great... Uh, Authority under Candace, the queen of, uh, of the Ethiopians, 
uh, who had charge of her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. He said he, said he was uh, returning and sitting in his chariot reading the prophet Isaiah, and then the Spirit of the Lord spoke to Philip and said, Go near and join yourself to the chariot. And Philip did what God said, and he ran to the chariot, and he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, who will under, who, who you understand that you will read? Do you understand what you're reading? And then we know that uh, Peter led, led the man to faith in Jesus Christ. They stopped by the river, and he was baptized, followed the Lord in obedience to be baptized, and then he goes off into history, and we don't hear from him again. But what you got to do now, now, now Philip was in Samaria, and revival had broken out. And uh, here again, now I want you to know, I'm Baptist born and Baptist bred, and when I die, I'll be Baptist dead. Okay, we got that clear? All right, all right. But because I am one, I can talk about us, okay? All right. But right here, you know that Philip's not Baptist because he's in there, and the revival's going, people getting saved, healed, and delivered. And then about that time, some guys came down from Jerusalem, and they said, uh, well, we'll take over. If Philip had been Baptist, there you go. If he'd been Baptist, he said, what are you talking about? This is my revival. I'm doing this. You leave me alone. But no, he didn't do that. He just backed away, and we got, when he got backed away a little bit, God says, I want you to go down to the de desert, which is by the way of Gaza, and he said, I want you just to go. Didn't tell him why he was going to go. He just told him to go. So you know what? Philip went. He just obeyed. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will go to Gaza. Okay? So here Philip is. He's standing on the desert. It's about 7,000 degrees. He's sitting there in all of his robes. There, he's sweating like this. And he says, okay, God, I'm here. I'm here. And all of a sudden, this chariot goes by, and God says, run her down, boy. <laughs> Read it. That's what it says. He tells them to go hither to the chariot. Now, there's a number of things I want to show you here. Number one, uh, what do you think I would have done if God had told me to run down the chariot? Well, God, I haven't run since 1978. <laughs> and God, you know, I got a bum knee, and you know, my back hurts sometime, and, and I put on quite a bit of weight. And you know what I would start doing? I would start explaining to God about how all of my circumstances were going to keep me from obeying Him. We've already talked about that. Right? What is it about your situation that's keeping you from selling? Peter, I mean, Philip did not hesitate when that chariot went by. Now, wait a minute. Uh, you know what the chariot was, don't you? A chariot was a little two-wheel wagon with about six mean horses tied to the front. And, I mean, there, was no there were no fringe on the top when it came to the chariots. I mean, the chariot was kind of like the Harley-Davidson of, of the Israelite crowd. And when, a and when a chariot went by, it was running about 45 miles an hour. It goes, boom, like that. And God says, go get it. And so Philip reaches by, uh, between his legs. He pulls the back of his robe and tucks it in his, in his uh, belt there. And he runs the chariot down. 
God is going to ask you to do things you cannot do yourself. If God asks you, hey, ladies, if you're riding down on the road and you hear God say, I think you need a new dress, <laughs> that ain't God. <laughs> <laughs> That ain't God. <laughs> Guys, if God says to you, you need a new shotgun, that ain't God. Because you can buy a dress and buy a shotgun all by yourself. But he's going to ask you, go witness to your daddy. Go witness to your uncle. Go witness to your kids. Go witness to your boss or the people that you, that you work with. And he's going to stretch you out there where you have to be totally dependent on him. And can I tell you something? That scary stuff right there. And how did, and how did uh, Philip gain this information? In verse 26, it said, the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Verse 29, it says, then the spirit of the Lord drew near to Philip and told him to go down to the desert. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. That means if you belong to him, he's talking to you. Is God talking to you? That's part of your salvation. That's part of Christianity 101. Is God talking to you? If not, I wonder why. I'll tell you why. It's because of unconfessed sin in your life, whether it be in salvation or Asking God forgiveness or your sin after you're saved. Philip ran down. Now, here, get the picture. Philip's running by this chariot, wide open, and he says, and, and God has told him, go talk to this man about his salvation. And when Philip gets there, he looks in there, and the man is reading the Bible. Let me tell you something. If you go to somebody's house, and when you walk in the den there, they're sitting in the chair, in the sofa like this, and you've come there, God sent you to witness to them, and when you get there, they say, would you explain this to me? What do you think? And can I tell you something? God won't ever ask you to do anything that he doesn't first prepare the way. Every time I've taken a big step of faith in my life, every time I think I'm reaching further than I've ever reached, and when I do this little project that God has for me, and I get done with it, and Jesus is standing there saying, I thought you'd never get here. He's right there, ready, able, and well. He's right in the middle of your circumstance, and he will prepare the way. It doesn't matter what you do. If he asks you to do it, he will prepare the way. And I'm asking you to do things uh, in these next days that you've never thought about doing again. It blows your mind to think about doing. But let me tell you something. If God tells you to do it, he's prepared the way. 1986, uh, I spent a month in the Amazon jungle building a mission station down there on the River Peaches. And I was down there, and we, uh, 
We had read up on all the insects and monsters in the jungle. We tried to get prepared for what we were going into. And, uh, and we knew that in the grass, in the jungle, there were these little bugs. And when you, when you got in the grass, when you, you know, walked through it, they'd jump on your legs. If you're cutting a machete, they'd be on your arms. Whenever you got touched by grass, those little bugs would jump on you, and it felt like they bit you. But what they'd really done is laid an egg. And they laid an egg, and that thing started itching like nothing you've ever felt. And then in about four days, this little thing had come busting out of that thing. And it was about an inch long, and it would crawl out your arm until you flipped it off. And uh, my mother had read that if you take zinc tablets and ate garlic, I mean, this is true, that the bugs wouldn't want you, okay? And so, man, I was taking that stuff by the gallon. And the three guys that were with me, they didn't take it. And I had four bites around my belt. And the three other guys that were with me from their belt down, there wasn't a square inch that didn't have one of those bites. So we got there. We knew those bugs were there. And so when we got to Lima, Peru, we had to buy our supplies. Uh, we had to buy, we took some skill saws and stuff, but any, any other uh, stuff we needed to use. And uh, we knew that when we dug the foundation for that little building, the foundation needed to be about three feet deep because it was in the mountains. And we had to dig those holes. And if we didn't have some post hole diggers, we were going to get on our belly and dig those holes. So when we were in Lima, we went around to every hardware store in Lima, Peru. Every store there. And we tried to buy a pair of post hole diggers. Number one, we could not speak Spanish. Okay? That hurt us some. Okay? <laughs> I drew post hole diggers on a little piece of paper. I imitated post hole diggers with my hands. I did everything I could to buy a post hole, pirate post hole diggers. And you know what? They say, no comprende, which means I don't have a clue what you're saying. And so we went in that jungle without post hole diggers. When we got into the jungle, we had a young man that spoke Spanish and English. So he was our interpreter. And so we laid out the batter boards and got things good and square. We taped off the where the foundation had to go and those guys looked at me and I looked at them I said hey dig as far as you can with the shovel and then when you get that far just throw it out on the ground start digging with a little spade or hand and just dig it out got to be you know two feet three feet deep the Spanish guy says what are you guys going to be doing I said we got to dig some deep holes here for the foundation he said we have special chubbles that we dug dig those holes with I said, you say what? He said, we have special chubbles to dig those holes. I said, can you get your hand on some of those special chubbles? And he said, he said, yes, I can. We'll be right back. So he took, he took uh, three of his buddies. There were four of them. And uh, now down there in the Amazon jungle, uh, a man that's five, six is very tall. And so these guys ran off, and the road was in a big ditch bank, and you know, the ditch bank's about six feet, and we're up on the hill. We couldn't see them. We didn't see them when they left. But in a few minutes, I looked down there, and here I saw four pair of post hole diggers coming toward our work site. God knew we were coming, and he had the post hole diggers waiting on us. You can say that is coincidence if you want to, but you're nuts. The creator of the universe put those 
post hole diggers in Puerto Bermudas, Peru for me that day. He prepared the way. I could tell you story after story after story from my life about how God has made the way. When I, when I, was, uh, I was leading a, a witnessing program, uh, we started an evangelism program at the little church I was a member of, and uh, it was EE, uh, e. I don't know if you know what that is, Evangelism Explosion. But so what it is, is I would train two people to go out and witness, and then I would go and we would go into somebody's home, and then I would do part, of, I, they would do the introduction, and I'd do the rest. And then, then they'd go halfway through, and I'd do the rest. And the first visit we made, I had two ladies with me, and we went in this house, and this sweet lady was there, and she had her three children. And, uh, and man, I started sharing the gospel, and man, she was just, I mean, she was eating every word of it up. And she'd never heard the gospel before. And, man, she was just, and, she, and, you know, we were right to the point asking her if she wanted to get saved. And her husband walks in. And he is mad as fire. What are y'all doing in my house? Well, sir, we just come to share the gospel with your wife. Uh, anybody we could share the gospel? He, nope. You get out of here. Boy, he just started yelling and screaming. I said, sir, 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 uh, let me talk to you a minute. I said, why does it upset you so much that we just came to visit and we, we're here because we love you and care about you? He said, let me tell you something. Y'all going to get out of here because last night I didn't sleep a wink. I dreamed I walked in the back of the church and I said, no, this is not for me. And I turned to go out the back door and everybody in the building grabbed my clothes and held on to me and wouldn't let me leave. He and she were both saved. Amen. When God asks you to do something, he will prepare the way. Guys, I, I appreciate your compliments and that, that your encouragement means so much to me. And I've heard a lot of people say, well, we've had some good preaching. We've heard some good preaching this week. Let me tell you something. If what you've heard this week don't change the way you act, out in the street, you haven't heard a thing. Amen. You've heard nothing. Amen. You've heard, but you didn't hear. And there's a big difference. Every head bowed, every eye closed.